nine o'clock. Hi, welcome to In the Trenches with Andrew Taylor, where we talk about millennials and this crazy world they're adulting into. Hey guys, welcome to podcast number 11. In this episode, I talk with an actual living and breathing millennial. Max is a former student in our program down here in Costa Rica, and I asked him to share his personal experience with what was going on before he came into our program in his personal life. And what his experience was like stepping into a you know wilderness therapy program. It's a very earnest and authentic and real story. You'll find that Max is very well spoken. He's a very bright young man and he has changed his life significantly. What's fascinating to me is you listen to his story. If you've heard my other podcast interviews, you'll see consistency with what he's describing and what other professionals are describing that they're seeing in the millennials that they're working with. And I, it, it, it offers a lot of perspective uh, from the millennial standpoint. And for any millennials out there, I think you'll find this really valuable and interesting. For any parents or professionals out there, Max is a wealth of knowledge in terms of what he went through and and what he can share with others. So I really appreciate him just being humble and real with all of us and sharing his story. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, without further ado, Max. Okay, Max, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being here with you, Andrew. Yeah, Yeah, man. I'm really excited to interview and I appreciate you taking the time and, and offering your story. Uh, for the podcast, I think I think a lot of other millennials out there are going to find it very relatable. Yeah, well, hopefully, I can shed some light on some experiences that you've helped, that you continue to help curate for for kids that are struggling with whatever they have going on in their life. So let's so, uh, let's get after it. Cool. Well, let's let's talk about college. Before I met you, you were in college, and you're a very bright young man but things didn't go so well your first run. Um, do, you, do you feel comfortable sharing a little bit what happened and what that looked like? Yeah. Um, so before I went to college, when I was in high school, um, I had dealt with depression while I was there. Um, they had diagnosed it as dysthymia um, while I was in high school, and now that term is sort of outdated, I think, um, among the mental health world um or in the mental health world and so i um i got to senior year and and my priorities were really out of whack you know um and so by the time i was applying for colleges it was all about oh like i want to go to the, the best brand name i can get and you know i it's all about the image and and going to a place where people will see me as you know, intellectual or whatever it was, whatever label I wanted to assign myself. And, um, and I got to school and sort of, that was the goal to make myself like a bunch of different labels (laughs) that didn't necessarily add up to max. Um, and, and so I was living for external validation, which, uh, as most people, I'd like to think a lot of people have figured out doesn't work super well. Where do you think that came um, from? And so, um, well, my parents, when they got divorced, um, what was that? I, I, I was just interrupting to say, yeah, where, where do you, I want to make sure you heard me. Where do you think that came from? Was it self-imposed? Was it family culture? Was it the neighborhood you grew up in or all of the above? That's yeah. I think it was a mix of everything there, um, and I don't see why it can't be, you know, one of each for any specific person. But I, I just feel like a lot of people, especially ones that would be looking at a pure life type program, they grow up with a certain amount of pressure, and some rebel, and and some 
really thrive in it and others are sort of just trying to fit in with this um, sort of thing and expect at 30 to be at the same place that their parents were at. Um, and so I sort of fall into that third category where I thought that a path had been laid out for me and that was where I had to go. And um, my parents had always told me that they were gonna support me in whatever I did but that didn't change the fact that I wanted to impress them and that I I wanted to get good grades for the sake of getting good grades, to go to a good college, to have a brand name degree, to be able to go to a Fortune 500 or start my own company. or I mean, those are grand aspirations that probably wouldn't have panned out. But I, I was thinking so far down the road and there was – no opportunity for me to try and get to know myself in, in you know, high school and in, in, in your formative years. And so when I got to college, I had, I had been thinking so far ahead that I had missed out on the experience of, of finding yourself in, in high school, being authentic, because I was trying to be things that I thought people wanted me to be, which I don't think there's anyone in the world that wants you to be someone that you aren't. Yeah. Um, that really cares about you. And so it, it took me to college to sort of figure that out my first year. Um, and when I realized that I hadn't done the work that I needed to do to become the person that I'd wanted to be, I had to reassess. And that's where pure life came in. What, what do you mind sharing what happened at college? What did that look like? Yeah, so when I was there, um, you know, I uh, school was okay. Um, like I, I did all right in school, actually, but socially, I it was I went to a very small school. Um, it was less than two thousand people, and you know, everyone sort of knows you around there. Um, not because of anything particular that you do. It's just a very tight knit community. Um, and so I felt like I hadn't been succeeding in a lot of extracurricular activities. And I felt like I was really struggling, um, to sort of find my group of people on campus, um, in terms of, you know, guys that watch sports and people that were, sort of into the philosophy thing and, and reading and finding people who played some video games. And I, I just, I had such a tight knit crew uh, when I was in high school and when I went to college, it was harder for me to find that. And so there's always one group of people that uh, is gonna be there to support you or to act like your friends. I don't wanna say support you. Um, and that's your, your stoners. <laughs> Because all you have to do is smoke weed and you're right. cool, right? Yeah. Um, and so I sort of, I just started doing, I smoked, I mean, I had smoked a decent amount when I was in high school, but it was never really like an issue. And so I started uh, smoking pretty much every day. And most of the time, like I would just go to sleep afterwards or, you know, I, I, there were so many times where I would smoke with someone and that I wouldn't like even hang out with them for that long. I would just go back and do whatever I was doing afterwards. And it was so much more for the appearance of being cool. And then it just became a habit. And uh, I really struggled with that be, because, you know, you just get in the rhythm of it and then people know you for that and it, it becomes sort of your shtick and it's something that you can stick to. And um, it, it just became this, this cycle of self-defeating prophecies. And I, I ended up, you know, in a fit of rage in a room on a Friday night, um, freaking out with my mom on the phone saying, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why I've done the things that I've done. Like this just doesn't, none of this makes sense to me. And I felt so lost. I felt so disconnected. Um, 
and I was just, I was angry because there was, there was no validation internally. Um, cause I hadn't focused on that in, at that point years. So up until that point, had you been pretty successful at everything you'd done? Do you, do you feel like yeah. you were pretty successful? I mean, quote unquote successful, right? Um, good grades, you know, you know, making friends, you know, doing the thing, feeling generally like you were thriving in your social and academic environment. Yeah. I mean, through high school, it was a breeze. I mean, you know, I, I did really well in school, did really well in my SATs, uh, had a lot of friends, did the homecoming court thing, did, uh, was captain of my soccer team and volleyball teams. Like I, I had done really well in high school and, and even before that. And, and that was the beginnings of where I started to put, you know, sort of the labels of the external world and say, this is how I'm going to judge myself because I had done so well by it in the past that it didn't really make a difference because I internally, I felt fine because externally it was all, it was all great. Um, and that model just didn't work once I started hitting bumps in the road. I mean, it was like riding a road bike in the middle of the Uintas. It was, it just wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna pan out for me. Um, the Uintas are a mountain range in Utah, by the way, for those that don't know. <laughs> You're speaking my language, um, brother. Um, yeah. what, what was so different though? And maybe you've already touched on it, but I, maybe you can help us out by what was so different from high school to college? What was the difference? Because you were, you were thriving, even though you were probably masking and kind of putting, just as you said, you, you were getting validated externally. And then you ended up in an environment that wasn't doing that for you, and it fell apart pretty fast. What was the difference? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, a big part of it is not having my parents around um, and, and not having people that I really knew. So when you walk into college, I mean, it's, uh, when I started, it was 500 kids that didn't know each other um, as freshmen. And so... I already understood the expectations that I had to, to fulfill to seem successful to the people in my life back in high school and back in middle school and elementary school. Um, but when I got to college, there wasn't any preparing me for the randomness that was about to happen, for the clicks that were going to be formed, for the expectations that were going to be set. Um, and so I was sort of running around with, like a chicken with my head cut off. Um, trying to figure out where I wanted to fit in um, and and not I, I lived and breathed those those judgments and expectations by other people I mean that was how I had achieved everything that thus far in my life and you know hearing myself say it now it sounds so hollow but at that point it was like you know this is the society that I had grown up in and it was something that I had done pretty well and there were people out there that were doing, you know, by those standards very well for themselves through that set of, of morals and ethics. And um, I realized pretty, I, I pretty fast that it just wasn't going to work. I mean, after my first semester, I, I knew it wasn't going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was it that made you decide to get help? How, how did, were you brought to that decision? Um, so after my freshman year, um, after that freak out that I had had in that room where I was on the phone with my mom and I was so angry, um, I realized that I needed to touch back in with my roots and go back to a place where I knew um, that people wouldn't respect me if I was anything but myself because that's what they, that was their expectation was for me to be myself and that that was more than enough. Um, and so there's one place in my life that I had before that, which was my summer camp. I went to a sleepaway camp, um, up in new England when I was a kid. Um, and so I, uh, 
I had applied for a job to be a camp counselor up there. And I went back and I was there with three of my best friends in the world who are also working with me and with all of these kids um, that needed mentors and needed people to look up to. Um, and so, and also I, I was able to sort of take all this in in a space where I was incredibly comfortable. It's it, this summer camp that I have um, is, is a really spiritual spot for me. And so when I got up there and I had all these people around that wanted me to be myself, that were cheering for me, that were my biggest supporters, and there still wasn't something right, I started to understand that there was, it, it wasn't like a switch, that there was work to be done. Um, like I had to get back into like, for lack of a better term, like emotional shape, like my emotional fitness was really poor. Um, and so I had talked to my parents before I'd gone to college about potentially taking a gap year. And um, a, a lot of the organization for that will go through an educational consultant. And so I called my mom up and I said, hey, I don't think that going back to college is the, the best thing for me. Is there any way that you can get in touch with someone who could help me find alternatives? Um, and so when I did that, I got on the phone with um, uh, with an educational consultant. And uh, from there, she sort of walked me through my options and we decided on Pure Life. What, uh, what was the first thought when you found out you might be going to like a wilderness adventure program? I mean, how, how, how would that – how did that feel to swallow that pill of like, man, I'm not going back to college and I'm going into the wilderness. Um, well, the, the initial decision not to go back to college, um, was surprisingly easy. I just realized that it wasn't, it wasn't the right time for me to be doing that. And there was no reason for me to be going to college at the time that anyone thought that I should be going there. Um, and I'm really happy that, gap years are becoming much more accepted in American culture because it's something that's really worthwhile um, for a lot of kids. Some of them are ready to go right to college and that's fantastic. They should do that. Um, but first it's not, it's not a one size fits all thing. Um, what was, what was harder was talking to someone and them laying out options for me um, where I would be put in places with kids that I felt had much more severe mental conditions than I had, which I realized very quickly after I got to Pure Life is an awful way to think and is honestly wrong because a lot of these things um, are diagnoses that are, that are different, but they come from the same symptoms. and a lot of the same, you know, struggles and, um, our certain perceptions of the world. And so when I started on this journey, it, it sort of struck me like, I'm not looked at as a college kid right now. I'm looked at as someone who's suffering from depression. And it took me a little while to come to terms with the fact that like, yeah, that is now a part of me. That is a defining point that I know that I have to watch out for in the future. Um, that I, I may continue to struggle with down the road and that um, could put up some roadblocks for me, but it was something that I, I had to take head on. And if I didn't, I mean, there, there could be some serious impact on my life that I didn't, I didn't want. I don't think a lot of people do. Did you, um, did you feel that at the moment? Like, were you this clear thinking in the moment or did you have pressure from family, your educational consultant? Did you have people around you going, Max, dude, you need this? Or did you have that own insight on yourself? Because that's pretty remarkable if you did. Um, so I remember um, having discussions with people and, and there weren't a lot that were going to say, like, you are suffering from depression or social anxiety or whatever they wanted to diagnose me with. Um, what I did get 
was, wow, Max, you're smoking a lot of weed right now. Um, I remember a very specific conversation between two of my friends from Connecticut College and one of my friends um, from the camp that I was working at uh, that uh, they were talking during the summertime when I was still trying to figure this out. And my buddy from camp had said, yeah, he's really struggling with this. And I could tell from the way that he said it, he sort of knew the right decision there. Um, and there was no judgment in it. Uh, you know, he just wanted me to do what was best for me. And, and so when I sort of had picked up on the fact that people could tell that I wasn't happy, I knew that something had to, had to be done and that I was not the person that was equipped to make that decision in that moment. Like, obviously I wanted oversight for it, but if I, if I sort of put the ball in my mom's hands or in my educational consultant's hands, um, that this would probably turn out for the better um, because I w wasn't in the place to make those sorts of decisions. So no, I didn't have that clarity in that moment, but what I do remember is being angry for being labeled as someone who had a mental illness because, you know, back two years ago or even, you know, four or five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, when this stuff started, uh, it just, wasn't so accepted in our culture. Um, so I, that's, that's what I remember being upset about. It's not necessarily going to a program, but being someone who had to deal with this for the rest of my life and honestly being scared of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Takes a lot of guts, man. I'm glad you talked about that because, you know, we see it time and time again in the program, these young adults come in, they're struggling, they're suffering and no one, no one wants to check into a program in college, you know, for, for mental health. No one wants that. Like no one chooses that. And that I think is one of the hardest parts of the process is just accepting the fact that, okay, I need help. I'm officially off the rails. School's not going to pan out. Nothing's going to play out the way I'd like it to until I get help. And that yeah. takes guts. It takes humility. Um, you know, you know as well as I do from your experience in at Pure Life, in our program. You know, some people make that decision on their own. I think you did. Um, some people ha need a lot of pushing and shoving from family. And, and yeah. so I think, you know, I think it says a lot about you that you, um, you know, that you recognized that, and um, not that you didn't have your struggles when you checked into the program, but like everybody does. But um, anyway, it's cool to hear, hear your perspective on that after the fact. Um, yeah. So what, um, what, what was your first thought when you got off the plane in Costa Rica and, and stepped into this program, started meeting all these people and all these rules and what was that experience like? I imagine it was quite overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people will go to these programs and they won't be super happy about it. I know that from a lot of the people that went to Pure Life with me, that it, it's not necessarily the choice that they would have made. And it's maybe not even the choice that I made. And you know, it, it, I wasn't ecstatic to go or anything, but um, I just recognized that I needed help. And um, so there are some people that don't think that they do. Um, and those, I've met some of those during my time um, in Costa Rica. But I, I just remember coming in and uh, the first thing I thought is uh, I want to be very deliberate while I'm here. And, you know, it's interesting to people listening to this right now, some of them might be thinking, wow, this kid had it all together. And some of them are thinking, wow, this guy is really cocky. <laughs> and that's exactly what I was. I was really, really cocky coming in. I thought that, uh, you know, I was going to, I was going to take advantage of my time there. I was going to get everything back on track and, and you know, three months I would be applying to Ivy league schools and 
um, would go off to win the Nobel Peace Prize and everything would be back in order. And that, <laughs> that was never going to happen. That, um, I remember a, meeting that Max when uh, we first met. I remember our first conversation and that sounds just about right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a ridiculous expectation, and uh, so for the people out there thinking that I had it together, thank you, um, and I hope that I do now. Uh, but it just it it takes a lot more than you know forty eight hours of determination to sort of turn things around, and I realized very quickly. Um, because I remember talking to someone when I first got there that had been at the program for 18 weeks. Um, and I had been there for two days. And he seemed so even keel and, and so at peace with who he was. And I mean, he had honestly a lot of reasons to be upset that he was still there. And I think that he wasn't upset sort of made people realize that he should be leaving the program. Um, but I did recognize pretty quickly that for the kids that had been there for a long time and that had done well, the level of understanding of themselves and humility that they had was going to take a really, really long time for me to cultivate. Um, and so while I could come at it with all the swagger that I wanted to, that wasn't going to change the fact that there was some hard work that I needed to put in. And I did not remind myself of that enough. I was constantly caught up in my ego. Um, and, you know, that was, that was, part of the struggle and that's part of the reason why I was there. So if I wasn't doing that, then it would be weird that I was at Pure Life. Um, but I, I did start to recognize um, that I didn't have the chops for this, that I was going to need help. Um, and luckily enough, I had some incredible people, especially on the Pure Life staff to help me with that. Um, shout out to Liz if she ever listens to these. <laughs> what, so what were the things that started to help? What were the things that started to give you insight into yourself? And, and what were the things that kind of knocked you off that pedestal a little bit? And what did those conversations sound like? And what were those breakthroughs like for you? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously time has to be the first thing on the docket list. Um, I mean, you take away the electronics and um, you take away the distractions of the outside world. And it, there, you, you can't help but be with yourself. And um, so I realized when I, when I started doing that and when I got away from all the, like, I'm going to be super deliberate and do this, this and this throughout the day and set up all these goals. And once I started to get away from that a little bit, it, it was scary going into myself and finding out that there were some things in there that I, I didn't like. And, you know, it, it was kind of like not cleaning your house for a super long time and going into your bathroom and being like, damn, I got to buy some Lysol. <laughs> um, and so, you know, time was definitely the, the first thing that um, helped. Um, and then I think the second thing is having people around you that are really committed to you being better and that you aren't afraid to say, this is what's going on. Um, because they're not going to stop. I, I remember, you know, trying to, you know, be all, oh, this is exactly what I'm going to do. This is exactly what I'm going to see. And having, you know, one of the therapists be like, okay, and like, what happens when that doesn't work out? or having uh, uh, one of the guides, you know, that I talked to be, you know, have that much more swagger than I did. And I was like, how do I achieve that? And it took me a while to realize because he was comfortable in himself. And like that, that confidence was like very sincere and it wasn't a front that he was putting on. And I was like, I, 
I can't get there, you know, on my own because this is all I've known is this sort of fake gravitas. Um, and so having people around that were committed um, and that, you know, because even when I'm, I'm, I was talking to my mom or my dad or my very close friends before I came to Pure Life and I felt like I could be pretty open with them. Um, it, it was still difficult to be super honest because there was still an expectation, especially from my parents. I, I felt like I needed to not be forthright when I was struggling because of the fact that they were paying for certain things in my life. Um, and it's sort of hard to let them down and say, I'm not doing my best here. And I'm, uh, you know, I felt like I was wasting their money, um, which I don't think that they would have seen it that way in retrospect, but at the time, like, and still it's, I find it rational to look at those things and say, I don't want to put them in a position where they're mad at me and thinking that, you know, this was a mistake. I regret spending this money on my son. Um, so definitely having all of that. Um, so yeah, the guides and time were, were big ones. And then I think sort of the third piece that I would say that really helped me get going was having other kids around that were open about their struggles. So a, that I could realize that mine weren't that bad. Um, because I think everyone is going to feel that theirs aren't that bad. I mean, you could come in there with the most severe case of, of PTSD and you can look at someone to your right with, um, severe OCD or bipolar and go, wow, that's, that's intense. Um, and so the other thing that I realized is that there's no comparing my problems with these people. You know, there's no reason to do that because I have to work on my own. Like, what's the point if I'm comparing to them? Like, my problems aren't as bad as they are because I'm always going to have problems. Everyone's always going to have problems. It's if you're willing to hunker down and work on them. And that takes grit, which is, you know, something that Andrew will preach day in, day out and has obviously <laughs> stuck with me two years on from the program um, and is a, a fantastic concept. Um, and, and so recognizing that, A, I'm okay to be vulnerable, um, B, my problems aren't that bad, and C, there's no use in comparing them to anyone. Um, and so when I figured that third part out, the second one, whereas my problems aren't that bad, it, you know, that sort of changed to my problems are manageable. I have the tools to be able to work on them. Um, and so I started going to work and it was a project and it's something that will never stop. It's a maintenance that has to always continue like cleaning your house. Um, but it's worth it completely. Cool. I, you know, and I, I, I don't want to ask you a loaded question, but I'm okay. curious, um, but just because of the nature of our relationship and even this podcast, I, I'm not doing this to promote my own program. But I'm, I'm curious to know what, were, what was it like being in the program for you? And think about maybe other millennials that might be listening to this that are considering a program like Pure Life. What was the day, you know, what were the, what were the challenges of being in a program like ours? And what were the things that you enjoyed? And, you know, aside from the time and the staff, you know, maybe you could talk a little bit about maybe even the, the ups and downs of your experience and the, even the day to day. Yeah. Um, so the one thing about the program that was initially frustrating for me was getting to like week four or five and going, Hey, I've done pretty well. Like I've been on like a real, like, cruise um through this time and like i've put in some hard work but you know i've really made some improvements and um i you know i respected all the people around me and i i felt like my time there had been served i had done it it was all finished and <laughs> i think 
it's setting in that uh, it that's not how it works, A. And B, if these programs were only for four or five weeks, nothing would get done. Um, because after that is when I hit probably the roughest patch in, at my, in my time at Pure Life, which was sort of the seven to nine week span that I had, um, where I came back into the ego filled, like, and it was a different, it was a different type of ego, um, in terms of like, I felt like I had conquered the program. Like I had, I had finished this. Um, and so that was like the first real low that I had. And it was, it was hard for me to figure out that like, there's no winning here. It's not a thing. This is not a black and white endeavor. I, I'm um, laughing because I've heard this so many times. I, I, I think yeah. I'm good. I think I got it. I think we did what we came to accomplish. I'm ready to go. And, and therapist and, and staff and parents and support team, everybody's going, we, there's still more work to do. And I'm, I'm laughing. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. And so that's, that's the first thing that I think kids going in have to realize is that they will hit that point. And I can almost guarantee that there will be someone that has listened to this podcast and that will go to a therapy program and they will think of this moment right then. And then a week later from when they thought of that moment, they will be having that slump. <laughs> Just <laughs> It's just how it goes. Um, and so that, that was definitely a struggle um, for me. But in terms of, you know, you were asking the day-to-day -day of the program and sort of what is to be expected. Is that what we're looking for right now? Uh, I mean, you don't have to go through, you know, what it looks like. I guess I'm just saying, you know, do you have any stories or experiences that stand out to you? Maybe that's the better question in sort of breakthrough moments that, that you saw, whether it was through activities or, you know, therapeutically or otherwise? Yeah. Well, I would say that the biggest lesson I learned while I was there is that it is all about your mindset and it is all about teamwork. Like if you have those two things going for you, you're, you can accomplish anything that you want to achieve on a personal level. And I don't say that as like, you can go out and win the Nobel prize. Again, those are, you know, external standards. I'm saying that if you want to make yourself happy and you have the mindset and you have the team around you, you can accomplish that. And I truly believe it. And when I first started the program, the group that I came into, their mindset was, I'm going to bide my time, and when three months comes, I'll be done, and I'll go to a transition program or a secondary program, um, and you know, I'll finish that up in some city, and I'll go back to college and get a degree, and sort of beyond my, my merry way. And this was just a little detour. Um, and, you know, I came in with that ridiculous braggadociousness, um, as we talked about. Um, but I did know that I wanted to take advantage of the time in front of me. And luckily, the next guy that came felt that way too. And the girl after that that came felt that way as well and the guy that came after that also had this mindset of i'm i this will not be a passive experience for me i'm done being passive um and once we all got on the same page about that that there's just no room for it and if we want to be successful in terms of our own standards for ourselves we were able to build something pretty special and we held each other accountable. And once we got on the same page and we had this mindset of we're going to do well by ourselves every day, that's when the teamwork started clicking and we were able to achieve some things. And, and 
I'm not saying that was easy. I mean, once we figured that out was when the real hard work began because we started having conversations like, you need to really look at this aspect of your life and see what you can change about it. I mean, stuff where people wouldn't talk to another person for three or four days afterwards because they were so upset, but it was something that they, they needed to hear. Um, you know, it was, it was hard. And so if, if you're willing to take that on, um, and I'm not saying that I was, I, I really shied away from that criticism. I was probably the worst in our group about that. Um, and I still struggle with it now, but I've recognized through that experience that it's something that is beyond necessary. I mean, it's, it's so crucial to you being a better person. And so I would definitely say mindset, teamwork, and then being able to take criticism. Those were the lessons that I took away. And those are the things that you have to be prepared for when you walk into a program like this. And that's for, for any program that you want to do. And there are some, there are some great ones out there. I mean, I've heard fantastic stories from Pacific quest and the Spiro and open sky and lots of people that I've seen that have done super well out of those two. And I happen to go to pure life and I'm, this, this has nothing to do with Andrew being on the line, but I'll preach it till the day I die that it was a fantastic experience for me. Um, but it was hard. There wasn't a whole lot about it that was easy. Well, actually, the the uh, the week to week stuff that we did, the rafting and the uh, climbing and hiking, that was the easy part. That was the fun part. You know what? What about that stuff? And that was my next question for somebody who might be listening to this that has never had this experience and might be considering it. What What does that stuff have to do with getting therapy and getting healthy? Like, what What does rafting, surfing, and hiking have to do with anything? Um, in terms of you having the breakthroughs that you're talking about. I know, but well, I'm, asking, I'm asking for your perspective. What would you say to that? Yeah. I mean, so for those three specific activities, I mean, if you were to break down rafting and hiking and surfing, so let's take rafting to begin with. I mean, you have to have teamwork. If all eight or nine or seven or however many people in the boat aren't on the same page, then you're getting flipped. Uh, surfing is the lesson of, you always got to get back up and try again because you're actually on your board surfing for like 0.5% of the time that you're out on the water, <laughs> um, you know, and it's all about paddling and getting yourself in position and enjoying that little moment that you have. Um, and then, you know, hiking is a lot about just like keep trekking forward. Um, and hiking really forces you to have a lot of good conversations with people around you and, um, it certainly gives you a perspective of the world um, in Costa Rica being as gorgeous as it is. Uh, that that sort of appreciation that you get from being out in wilderness cannot, I mean, it's something that I still hold dear to me um, and something that I work to try and find as much as possible because um, building that type of gratitude, which is something that we talk about a lot in the program, um, is really important. And so that's, there are a million different lessons that you can take from these activities. Um, and the great thing about all of them is that you have to be engaged the entire time. Um, not necessarily on like yourself and your problems. Like you're not sitting on the river, you know, thinking like, how did my parents divorce affect how I went through grade school? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's more of, you know, you're there in the present moment and that, is another you know huge lesson that you learn um, when you're in any of these programs is that the present moment is pretty cool and you should you should stick around and find out what's what's to be had there before floating into la la land um, and so there are just a million a million different lessons to be learned when you actually are engaged in all of these things um, all of those activities lend itself to to that you know I think it's fascinating that you started with all of the relationships and the group dynamics. And I'm actually reading a new book right now that you ought to look into called The Rise of Superman. And they're talking about action and adventure sports, outdoors, and flow, the flow state, and how mm -hmm. shared experience 
through those activities. I think, I think it's that shared experience that allows you guys in the program to have such a, such a profound connection. And it really helps to open that up as well. Um, and anyway, that's cool. You ought to check out the book. We can talk about it more later, but, uh, that's what really comes to mind when you talk about that. Um, what, what do you think, what, what advice would you give to someone who is in your shoes two years ago? And I'm not, I'm talking about whether or not they can, they have access to a program like, like ours. Um, what would you say to some yourself two years ago or that millennial out there listening right now going, dude, it's falling apart, uh, depressed, I'm anxious. I'm starting to wrap my head around the fact that I might drop out of school this semester and my college dreams and my family's dreams and everything that I had planned is not happening or to that person right now who can't get off the couch and has been isolating for the last three months in their room and smoking pot all day. What, what's your advice for that? that person looking back? Uh, I mean, the first thing is to ask for help, obviously. Um, and that's hard for some people. Um, but I guarantee you that finding one moment in a week of being the person sitting around lounging on the couch and texting someone and say like, Hey, like, do you have time to talk? Or, you know, I'm really not feeling well, like I, I need, I need something right now and I'm not sure what it is. Um, I guarantee you finding the moment for that, you will, you will get that motivation somewhere. I mean, I, I, cause I've been there and I know it, like having that moment and from there things can start to open up. But I, I will say one of the things that I've thought about a lot, um, especially going to a public university now um, and uh, working where I do at the current moment, which um, I'm, not, I'm not going to reveal at the moment, um, is that there are a lot of people that can't afford the opportunities that I've been afforded. Um, and I, I'm incredibly lucky and blessed to be able to say that I've been to a program like Pure Life and, um, you know, there's no reason to be embarrassed by that. Um, and I've, and I should know where I'm coming from, um, in my privilege when I, when I say that statement that I went to Pure Life because not a lot of people get to go. Um, and so for people out there that are, that are really struggling with that, um, finding a counselor somewhere has to be the place to start, you know, finding someone to talk to and to lay things out for, and it can start with the superficial things, you know, it can, it can start with the stuff that's like, my my girlfriend is really pissing me off for this thing or my parents are pissing me off or um you know i didn't make some team or something and i guarantee that that from there you will start to feel more comfortable and in getting into the topics of like man my grades really they are not doing so well and i don't know where to to go from here or i've called out from work like a couple times this week um, or I haven't called out from work and I haven't shown up. Um, and I know it's, it's hard for people to find, um, you know, that type of help. Um, but that has to be the first thing is finding a, a guidance counselor or a social worker someone to talk to um and and they will they will help you uh but i i cannot preach therapy enough i really i really can't um i know a lot of people that that think that they're above it or that they don't need it or um that it says something about them that they don't want to be said and 
I think that it that there are a lot of people out there that might not need it, but I think that there are a good amount of people that could probably use a good, you know, sitting down and diving into who you are and having someone not necessarily that's going to like push you through that, but is going to to help you along in your journey through yourself. That's important. Um, so that would be my first piece of advice: find someone to talk to. I always find it interesting that in many aspects of our lives, we hire teachers and coaches. You know, you want to learn to play the guitar, you you hire a teacher. You know, sports growing up, coaches everywhere, and you know, school teachers, and and then you hit adulthood, and it's like, okay, now you just sort of go about your day. And why wouldn't we all seek out coaches and teachers and mentors? throughout our entire lives. And that's something that I've started doing more and more is I, any chance I get to learn something from somebody, I'm, I'm jumping on it. So I'm glad. I think that's a really good point, Max, is just have the guts to seek it out. You know, no shame in it. Yeah. You know, we all, we all could use some extra insight and perspective on our lives. What, yeah. what um, you know, you were with us two years ago. Your, your life is in a much different place and you don't have to go into those details right now if you don't want to. But I would be curious to, to ask you, what are the daily or weekly routines that you're using right now to stay healthy that maybe you've gained from, from these experiences? Yeah. So, well, the one thing that I thought when I got out of pure life was, oh, wow, I'm going to be able to keep all of this going for the rest of my life forever <laughs> that I'd be able to wake up in the morning at five 30 and get in, you know, 30 minutes of yoga and, you know, a quick meditation and a good amount of reading and, you know, be able to write down like all my goals for the day and then wake up and make breakfast for myself. And, um, you know, and that was, you know, just the first two hours of my day. And uh, it, all of this was going to be so focused going forward. Um, that's not how life works, obviously. Um, but the one thing that I will say is that I am constantly trying to come back to center. Um, and so there are some activities that really help with that, some that help a little bit, but I'm always trying to do things that put me in a flow state. Um, and I used to think that they were very specific things, that it was just sports and playing saxophone uh, and being with friends. Um, but it, it's really branched off to a whole lot more than that. I mean, I can experience flow at work. I can experience flow well reading for sure. I mean, I get it really heavy with, with yoga. Um, and there are some days where I really don't feel a whole lot of it. Um, but you know, uh, the one thing that I did get from pure life is being able to, um, forgive myself and say it's okay. And we have a whole new day to try it again tomorrow. And I wake up the next day and maybe instead of doing the 30 minutes of yoga that I want, I can try and get in five before I eat a quick bowl of cereal and then I'm off to work. Um, and, you know, the fact that I'm putting in that effort makes the world to me because it doesn't matter um, how much I do it. I really sound like my parents. It doesn't matter how much I did get to do or, or how much from like the external standpoint I did, it's that I tried. Um, and so I keep trying to remember that and um, giving my, trying to be the best version of myself every day is really what it comes down to. That's what keeps me grounded. And I know that there are some things and some practices that help me with that more than others. A lot of them I learned at Pure Life. Um, but I would say that that is you know, what, what sort of keeps me sane is keep trying to be the best version of me I can be. We started the interview with you needing to be the best at everything and the best college and, and needing to succeed in every way. And that, that pressure in and of itself was 
part of what made you very unhealthy. Um, could you paint a picture now for anybody listening after Pure Life? I mean, it's clear you went through our program, but where you're at now in terms of that mindset, maybe, you know, college, what's changed? What have you just sort of let go and what do you continue to pursue from, from what, where you were two and a half years ago? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm constantly reminded that, especially from a, a social and academic standpoint, like I'm never going to be up to someone else's standards. Um, like I run a radio show um, in Utah. I do a hip hop show. And no matter how many albums I listen to and how many artists I know, you know, I'm never going to be able to relate with every single person through everything that they've ever listened to. Um, and so there will be something that they'll go, oh, you have to listen to this or, or even worse, you don't know who that is. Like, are you serious? Um, <laughs> and so like, yeah, but through those little things, I'm constantly reminded, like, there's no reason for me to try and live up to those standards. It's, it's asinine. It's completely ridiculous. Um, and, and so that sort of brings me back down to earth and recognizing that, like, if I just listen to the music that I want to listen to. I'll have more than enough to share with people. And if I come, you know, to music with a really authentic take on it and saying, this is what I like, and this is what I want to spend my time listening to. And maybe this isn't what I want to spend my time listening to all the time. Um, it makes it a lot easier to connect with people as opposed to being like, Oh yeah, I know who that is. Yeah, totally. Um, and sort of being standoffish like that, because that's what that mentality of like know it allness breeds. Right. Um, so I, I'm constantly trying to drop that, but I got to tell you the same vices that brought me to pure life are still in my life today. Um, and I don't, I know that you know that Andrew, um, uh, that especially, you know, for me, you know, putting myself up, you know, next to other people and then having expectations for others, um, is something that I constantly, constantly have to quell. Um, and, you know, that's why I, I still work on my curriculum. Um, I, I actually was just showing my boss, like, literally two hours ago, my me in 30 seconds, because she had to write a personal mission statement. Um, you know, I, I'm constantly coming back to those things, um, because they're sort of what show me that, like, I don't need the other stuff really important question are you getting into and or playing any 90s hip-hop on your radio station yeah no i've been on a big uh big l if you know who big l is no from back in the day um he's he's really cool um obviously everyone on my station loves tupac okay he's a legend right. uh, but is there anyone that you have to well man young mc Young MC, MC Hammer, I mean, like, that was the stuff that really hit big when I was in, like, junior high and high school. And uh, I must yeah. have listened to uh, Stone Cold Ryman by Young MC. This was back in the day of, you know, tape cassettes, right? <laughs> and yeah. I, I mowed my parents' lawn, and it was it's a big lawn. And so, like, I probably listened to that album a thousand times. I have every word memorized when a Young MC – song comes on in the car my wife's just like me you know megan she's just like oh no he's gonna start rapping <laughs> anyway, she tries to change quickly and you're like nope not, not a chance i think i've won her over i think she's actually enjoying it now so uh okay. i asked her the other day i'm like do you hate it when i do this she's like actually I'm, it's kind of fun so uh so throw in some young mc for me man hey i will do i really appreciate i appreciate your honesty and I appreciate your, you know, it takes guts to come on and talk about it after the fact. And I think what you shared is going to do a lot of good for a lot of people. And I'm, I just appreciate you taking the time and more than anything, laying it out there and just being real with, with where you're at still. I, I love that you finished with the fact that it's still a daily struggle. And um, we're all, that's all of us, man. And you know that yeah. even with some of our conversations that that's life in general. And so um, it, it helps me know you're in a good place to hear you say that. 
So um, thanks for coming on, brother. We're going to, you know, uh, I'm just getting into this podcast thing, but, you know, down the road, maybe I'll bring you on again and we'll talk some more about some different things. But um, we'll wrap things up there. Sounds good, man. Well, I appreciate you having me on.